UX Podcast Episode 144. Hello, and welcome to UX Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Pat Axboom. And I'm James Royal Lawson. And we're balancing business, technology, and people every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. Coming up in this episode, we talk to Sarah Doody about anticipatory... I'm not good at saying that. Anticipatory design. And we also it talk is a to, tough word. It is. <laughs> uh, we also talk to um, Andrea Rismini about cross-channel ecosystems. Also coming up, but on December the 2nd, we've got a live listener phone-in. It's going to be at... One o'clock UK time, which is eight o'clock in the morning, New York time. And this time we'll be live on Facebook and uh, along with Danway as per usual. And of course, it's you, the listener, who will be setting the agenda. So you'll be able to call in. So like our Facebook page to get alerted when we're on air. So um, both of these interviews with Sarah Andrea were recorded on location at Interact London um, a few weeks ago. And as per usual, we'll be playing them right after the other. And uh, Sarah Duty's up first. She's a user experience designer and product strategist uh, based in New York City. Uh, and besides consulting, she publishes a popular weekly newsletter, The UX Notebook. And she writes and speaks and teaches regularly on UX. And Andrea Rizmini, he's an assistant professor at Jönköping International Business School um, in Jönköping, strangely enough. Sweden. Um, he's um, architect, information architect, video gamer, piano player. Uh, he's actually really good when he's playing the piano. I've I've seen that and it's it's awesome. Um, he's the he's the editor in chief of the Journal of Information Architecture, and the author of oh, two books. I don't I can't remember the titles of them. Can you? We'll put them in the show notes. There we go. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you. Uh, you gave a fantastic, energetic, lively talk to us earlier about anticipatory design and the invisible interface. Yes. Mm. Tell us a bit more about that. What is anticipatory design? So, you know, when I was thinking about this topic in the future of technology, I was thinking we're just overwhelmed with options. And how can we minimize those options? And one of the ways that I think we can do that is to give people better options and use what we know about their lives and their habits and their behaviors and tailor the information we're giving them rather than giving them the kitchen sink, if Mm. you will. Mm. And then there's an argument that you could take anticipatory design a step further and not just give the user better choices, but make that choice for the users. There's a spectrum of anticipation and automation. Mm. There's definitely pros and cons to each, but I think there's a lot of consequences too, so um, we kind of have to weigh what's the impact of those consequences. Mm. So give us an example then of something that, that is a form of anticip- anticipatory design. Um, so one of the things that I've been using recently is something called um, Digit. So Digit is a little app for finance that helps you save more money hook it up to your bank account, Mm. and then it helps you save 
because it anticipates how much it thinks you can save every couple of days. It's monitoring your spending. Mm -hmm. And then it just texts you and says, oh, we've saved $4 today. Mm -hmm. Maybe two days later, we've saved $8. And next thing you know, you saved $100, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to me because it's automated, but also it's anticipating that mm -hmm. maybe, maybe this week I'm traveling in London, so I'm spending a lot of money. So maybe it shouldn't save this week. But next right. week, it'll catch up, and we might save again. So that's one of the more recent examples that I've been using. Mm -hmm. And you also had some examples of where it goes horribly wrong, of course. Definitely. Like with your calendar issues. And yes. you have events in your calendar that you haven't put there yourself. Oh, that was yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. so I was um, under a deadline, and then all of a sudden I got a uh, notice on my iPhone that I was supposed to be somewhere in 15 minutes, mm -hmm. and that I should leave in three minutes to beat traffic, etc. And I didn't recognize the event. I didn't recall being invited, mm. even Googling it. And it turns out that um, part of Apple's new OS is looking into your email and finding events. Even this particular event, I, I hadn't even registered. It was just kind of, you know how you get recommended events sometimes mm. you might be interested in? It just detected that and then inserted it on my calendar as a pending event. Mm. And then... The thing that made it very negative is that it was sending me notifications before I'd even accepted it or not. So mm. I was thinking I actually needed to be there. Um, caused a lot of stress. There's also, mm. you know, more extreme examples when it comes to um, things like airlines, where we talked about um, autopilot in airplanes and mm. what happens when that goes wrong. Mm. And the consequence is that pilots aren't prepared to take over because they're flying the planes less and less. They're only flying three minutes on average per flight. Mm -hmm. So when they really need to dig into those skill sets, they don't have them because they're eroding away because um, the autopilot is taking over and they're not they're not using those skills. It's just like a muscle. Yeah, yeah. You said automation leads to de-skilling. Yes, uh, I mm -hmm. like that word. Yeah, um, it was from this Quartz article mm -hmm. that I'd read, all, or no, mm -hmm. the book, um, The Glass Cage, mm -hmm. and it goes into a lot more depth about mm -hmm. different studies um, with different crashes and things like that. But um, you know, the consequences if 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 the Digit app oversaves or undersaves, not the end of the world. If the automation fails on the airplane, yeah. much larger consequences. And the user, if they can't over or auto-correct, mm. then we're in trouble. Mm. Also, it becomes, if we say about that, you should always be able to, to, to wind back, to kind of to yes. untie yourself from a, from a potential mess that automation or, or something anticipa anticipatory has, has done. Then the less you need to do that, the more complicated it will be. Mm. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, like I was saying... If we're going to start making these decisions for people, I think you also need to first let them know you've made that decision yeah. for mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. So the calendar example, it would have been helpful to know that this had been placed there through even some type of icon or something on the actual calendar invite mm -hmm. on my calendar to let me know these are ones that I have put there versus this is one that Apple right. put there almost like as an intermediary state. Mm -hmm. um, But then if we do make these decisions, figuring out how do we let people easily reverse them or raise their hand and say, I don't ever want you to do that again, mm. or that was great, keep doing it. Like yeah. basically adding in these feedback loops. If we're going to make decisions, how do we gauge if mm. that decision that we mm. made automatically was good for the user? Mm. And I think, I think pr that's probably an area where we could work on because mm. probably everyone's thinking about how do we use automation and then not 
and what happens after the decision is made. Exactly. You need to add more conversation into it. So yeah. the, the first time I ever added something to your calendar, it would ask you or tell you, I just did this. Is that okay? Do you want me to do it in the future? Mm-hmm. Or tell you, tell you every time? Or exactly. Like yeah. I just recommend now, one of, the, one of the points that you said mm-hmm. that we should, um, or the cautions, one of the cautions that you mentioned at the end of the talk was, was accuracy. Mm. And, and, and reflecting on that now, I'm thinking that, yeah, accuracy, is, it's, it's almost a given that you, if you're going to automate something or, mm-hmm. or present something as a choice, then make sure it's an accurate choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, if you've automated something, then and then there's there's connected systems because we're in a connected e- uh, ecosystem or environment. Right. Like the idea with the the traffic directions that you, no, this the example you gave the traffic directions. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a, like a knock-on effect of an automated one. Right. So how do we how do we sh- ensure or make sure things are accurate? when they're further connected downstream. Right. It's, I, I think what you're getting at is the idea of almost a domino effect. If all mm. the decisions yeah. are, are going to be made for us, yes. when does oh it end, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, it tells me I'm going to be at this event. I might be late. Mm. I should get a car in three minutes. Mm. Automation mm. would say order the car. Then the car shows up. Mm. Well, the, the mistake is that I was never supposed to be at the event. The car shows yeah. up. Then what happens? There's yeah. a lot of a lot of mm. consequences there, and a lot of angry people. But the mm. Uber driver is mm. going to be upset. I'm upset. Mm. Mm. So full full accuracy requires full access to all data points, or you can't guarantee the accuracy. Exactly. Mm. I think if mm. if you want to have an automated life, I think you need to be prepared to open up everything about your life. Yeah. You know, we just we think of calendars and email and. Um, finance and things like Mm. that but we have to think of where else are we going to be gathering data to some of the other speakers you know biometrics and emotions and things and it it seems like it needs to be an all or nothing scenario either Mm. you want the automated life or you don't because Mm. if you don't give it full access there's going to be a missing link and Mm. then something will break Mm. and the whole chain of decisions Mm. isn't going to work anymore right and challenging as challenging as well for us uh, as designers to, to maybe highlight a, a potential issue with accuracy or, or, or the dominoes falling over mm-hmm. because you don't it's disconnected mm-hmm. y- you can't surface that because you've absolutely no idea it's going to happen right right true so you need that you, you were saying you need a kill switch or, exactly. or a way to mm-hmm. roll back at least yeah. what, what has just happened right mm. Some way mm. for the user to mm. raise a flag and say mm. either that worked, mm. that didn't work, mm. or I need to mm. kind of hit pause and you know not have right. the car come get me yeah. because something has happened in our life. It's just automation is great, mm. but where does serendipity come into play? You mm. know, I know I, know, uh, I use um, if this then that quite a lot, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful I love tool. That one. I mean, it's, it's, oh, there's so many fantastic mm. things you can do, but sometimes things happen, and I find myself wondering. Have I done this? <laughs> or am, am I the seed? Am I the thing I that see. actually created a recipe mm. like two years ago and I forgot about it? Because you can do all things like date-based, time-based, weather-based. Mm. It could be that the, 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 the criteria you put on the trigger mm. just hasn't happened mm. for like a very, very long and period. And you've forgotten about yeah. it. And, mm. yeah. and then when, it, when, when your light starts flashing in your living room because you've got a connected you know, Philips Hue light, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> why is it doing that? Exactly. Why, why is it doing that to me? Because <laughs> something uh, at the top of the line triggered it. Yeah. And you don't know why. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm. Yeah. You had another uh, message in, in, your, in your talk that really appealed to me when you were talking about human experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were saying that we find satisfaction in struggle. Uh. And I think that's really important because... We, we, we always talk about we have to remove all the friction. We have to make it as easy as possible. Not really true because we love overcoming challenges as humans, I think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. No, 
the whole idea, you know, we think we're lazy and we think we want to find a shortcut, mm. but we really love overcoming, mm. right? And so I think the whole idea of automation, especially when it comes to our jobs, thinking about what's that going to do to satisfaction in our jobs mm. if a half of it is automated, right? Mm. And I, I think even in my own design practice, um, you know, the more you work on one type of project, let's say you do a lot of publishing sites and you just, you do a homepage, an article page, category page, and it's exciting the first couple of times, but after the fourth one, it kind of becomes automated. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't, I find myself not even really needing to think because in my mind, I know I'm going to pull this piece from that project that worked, this other one, and then the fun's kind of out of it because... Mm. My hand is just moving the mouse to make this thing. It just feels very automated. And and then those projects that used to be exciting, I'm still excited on them, but it's just it's kind of unfulfilling is mm. what I'm getting yeah. at. So oh, yeah. I even see this, you know, not just in larger parts of my life, but just even in designing, mm. I feel the effects of automation. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Thank you very much for Thanks. joining Thank us. You. It's been great talking to you. Yeah. We're standing here now with our old friend Andrea Resmini, and uh, you'll actually be doing your talk tomorrow around mapping cross-channel ecosystems. What does that even mean? Yeah, that's difficult Mm. to explain (laughs) briefly, which is, of course, not one of the things I'm used to do, (laughs) but we will try. So um, tomorrow the talk is going to be about um, one of the ways that we developed through the years to actually... Uh, investigate experiences as they happen uh, most of the time today, which means they're not company-bound, they're not service-bound, they're not product-bound, but normally people tie together unrelated pieces into one larger system in order to achieve a certain goal. Mm. For example, you might decide you want to go to the cinema Mm -hmm. uh, to watch a movie, and that might involve anything from INDB to texting friends to looking up... uh, um, what movies are playing mm. in the local newspapers to the kiosk machine from mm. which you take out your tickets and so on and so forth. Mm. And um, the way we uh, look at these things is from the people's perspective. So we try to figure out what people are actually doing and how they structure this thing that we call the cross-channel ecosystem. Mm. What that means is simply a collection of uh, people or actors actually because they could be also software agents yeah. mm. uh, activities or tasks um, touch points like you know the kiosk system or your mobile phone or uh-huh. credit card um, and the connections between them that we call seams into a cohesive system that serves the only purpose to get you to see the movie for mm. example and uh, the the th- talk tomorrow is going to be about one of the ways that we used to do that, which is basically to go through what we call the actors experiences, so Mm -hmm. the people who are actually going through the experience themselves and map it in some sort of synthetic way Mm. to get into insights about what are the things that these people are doing and what design can do to make these things better from a systemic perspective. So we are not looking at individual points, but at the system. Alright, so you're you're surfacing the processes connected to the, the goal in mind. Yeah, the, the, the general idea is that so much of what we normally do or think when we do UX design or service mm. design is 
controlled by a company or by a product or by mm -hmm. a service. So we look at what a certain chain of supermarkets does and we stick to what happens inside that ex single experience. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. way we're looking at it is by basically looking at what people do and asking them to tell us, so you did yeah. go to the movie, what mm -hmm. did you do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And sort of compound a number of mm -hmm. these perspectives, mm -hmm. sort of like a mix of qualitative and quantitative as mm -hmm. we said, mm -hmm. yeah, we heard this morning, mm -hmm. into a global view of all of the elements that participate in different ways mm. to build up these experiences for people. I think, I think, well, think about this from a personal point of view. I mean, this is actually one of those ways in which companies fail and often well, a lot of the time for me that you have that kind of brand like I can think of a supermarket chain in Sweden where they're, they're launching kind of new features and functions and apps and every now and then and it's all based around their world yeah. and they want to pull you in to their world mm -hmm. and you know, I've tried some of these things and I just get incredibly frustrated because it it doesn't it doesn't fit into my world yeah. and, and I don't <laughs> want to make that leap into yeah. their world because mm -hmm. it's, it's still going to leave you know, bits at the edge where I have to fill in with bolt in something else anyway. Absolutely. So agree. just yeah. out the door with it, and I'm not interested. In I kind of continue with my own Absolutely. process and, and, and ecosystem. That, that's uh, that's exactly the point of view that we're trying to bring in. So we tend to keep a sort of like company or product or service bound mentality when we approach these things while mm. this is not the way we normally experience stuff mm. because of connectivity because of mobile technology mm. because of ambient computing mm -hmm. you, you name it because of life we, 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 because <laughs> of life because <laughs> we connect because I can talk to you and you can tell me that's this great movie mm. that mm. you can go watch mm. then you become a part of my information system that mm. works around this thing and that changes the way I will approach whatever I do exactly. and the way we're trying to do that is basically saying well isn't that what user experience has been about mm. experiences by users mm. we don't call them users because it feels like mm. you know mm. not the right way they mm. are the ones building this thing so yeah. we use different terms but yeah. it doesn't really change the fact that we're sort of saying uh, we've been sort of zooming in so much into the problem solving aspect of this thing which are important come in later mm. on though mm. that we have sort of like we're missing the big picture of right. what really happens and we're trying to turn the idea that you designed for a specific point mm. or a specific touch point in, mm. in a certain case to the idea that you need to embrace an uncertainty and be able to see the opportunities that lie there for design. Mm. Mm. So what comes out of the cross-channel uh, sort of like mapping um, exercises and, and uh, methodologies that I will talk about tomorrow is that sometimes you just need to be aware that you don't control the experience, but you can be a player in that. Mm. And the way you can be a player is going to probably make your fortune or not as a, as a business mm. Mm. Uh, player into the system. You need to be aware that you might be having competitors or that you might be playing along with your competitors mm. in exactly. order to be a part yes. of that. Yes. Yes. Because otherwise, mm. you're simply just saying, well, we do our app, mm. as you were mm -hmm. saying, mm -hmm. and, you know, who cares about the rest? Mm -hmm. And people would just not use the app yeah. because yeah. it doesn't match. What so we're not creating the experiences, which yeah. is the misnomer of you exactly. design that we think yeah. we're creating experiences, Absolutely. but we're doing it from an inside-out perspective instead of looking at the big yes. picture. Yeah. And as a designer, wh so what does this mean for me as a designer? I need to s start thinking about how can what I'm building connect with all these other different areas that are important to that person's absolutely. That, that's well-being. Yeah. Ab absolutely, totally yeah. agree. Mm. That, that's one thing that I have on my slides tomorrow, which basically mm. says mm. that the, the, the big change is exactly in the way we are framing things. Yeah. And the idea that we can still build a completely bounded artifact, like a finished thing, mm. and put it in there, and people mm. will use it, doesn't match our experiences. We are really sort of like 
we talk about ecosystems because that's where they come from. Just imagine the Serengeti mm. in Africa. You bring in lions, something's mm. going to happen, mm. and you don't control what happens. It might be that all of the lions eat all of the zebra, <laughs> and uh, you end up with no more animals because they all mm. die out. Or it might be that you have a different mm. ecosystem at the end mm. that works in a completely mm. different way. Mm. So we mm. tend to have the lion perspective, like, you know, push in thousand lions and see what happens we just don't understand that there's an ecosystem around it right so that's extremely interesting from a from a research perspective as well because you always think when you do research okay so if i change this i'm going to measure the outcome oh, but absolutely but you're you're there are so many other things that can change at the yeah. same time you might drop off your map so completely. it's only it's, it's mm. all of the things remain equal yes i can draw this conclusion but they're not remaining equal because i don't know about all the other factors that are taking place okay oh. i control them yeah but it's um that's so why I, mm. I think from a company perspective, um, what we're asking them here is that we're asking them to be to have the self-confidence as an organisation to not control all the touch points, all of the the the, 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 the points along the, the the journey. How do you how do you get an organisation to have that self-confidence to take this leap? It's 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 a complicated issue, and I mean we are not the only ones who've been discussing that. I mean even Dave Gray, I think mm, the yeah, company, thinking, yeah. right? Yeah. There's that very interesting case with Starbucks that he describes at the beginning. Mm. The the thing is like, it's it's a difficult proposition, and the only real way that you get companies to follow along is to demonstrate value. Yeah, so in things, so in in practical terms, but in general, you know, if you want like more generic terms. The one thing is that there's no choice. This thing is happening anyway. And either you play along and become a player in a system that you don't control and mm. you make the most out of it, mm. or you're left out mm. because you want to be the one controlling everything else and people mm. will just find ways around you. Mm. And, uh, and that's an incredible, you know, difficult proposition for companies the way they're traditionally built because they are all based on control. Yeah. They, 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 all, they want to own you, yeah. right? Mm. And... Market share and verticals, um, yeah. It does, there's a bunch of that that goes around mm. from, from mm. the ethical parts to mm. the real business parts mm. that don't match this model. But this is one of the big changes that we're sort of facing with the digitization of society, which is happening. And I mean, that this, the Starbucks case is very, very interesting, that the one that David describes in the book, mm. because the CEO perspective at the end mm. was like, we were part of a conversation that we could not control mm. and we didn't originate for real yeah. and that we could only take advantage of yeah. at a certain point but if we decided no we don't want it mm. we could not stop it mm. and th that's yeah. the important thing right yeah. you need to be sort of like you, you need to awake to this new reality mm. which is not easy mm. lots of companies have no means to actually no. uh, be part of this like they are now so they will need to mm. change in some ways yeah. right? then a complete attitude change because yeah. you, you're part of someone else's journey Absolutely. not them being part of yours we need well, to feel more comfortable not being in control yeah, yeah. Fantastic. I think you did a, an awesome job, actually, <laughs> explaining that in just <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing it in full tomorrow. Yes, definitely. Thank we'll you so much. You Thank you very much. Tomorrow. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I think this is uh, the chat with um, Sarah. It's really interesting to tie that in to our conversation uh, with Pamela um, in, the, in the previous episode. Where, where, where Pamela was highlighting um, the, the 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 problem or the issue with emotional data when when or data in general when when machines know everything about us they're collecting all data we get freaked out a little bit and we get a bit scared by it and we we don't seem to really want to have that all knowing access 
Mm. Whereas now when we're chatting to Sarah, what we said is that for, for, for automation, for um, anticipatory design to really work and to, to properly deliver, full access is required to everything, to all data. So we can avoid the gaps and the, and the disconnections and, 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 and stop the dominoes falling over. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you're right. That's actually really interesting. But it's a, it's a trust issue, isn't it? I mean, we don't trust giving away all of our information is what we talked to Pamela about. But here we're saying we need to for it to work. Yeah, well, it's a catch-22. Mm. I mean, reflecting on, reflecting on in kind of our digital lives or the, as they are now, um, you know, the stuff that bugs me most is when the dominoes fall mm. over. You know the the chaos you get into when when things like Sarah said an example with with um, uh, calendar entries and you know things getting messed up by other things and you know you've you've synced something and you can't get back on it or you've not realised something's happened or something just doesn't happen it just it's just so frustrating that things don't talk to each other yeah. and yet some of the biggest joy I get from the digital world we live in is when it does work when stuff does all tie together and it does work seamlessly and you know, oh, that kind of, that, 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 oh, what's it called? When, you, when you've got this, this extremity mm. of the two sides to this, complete failure and disaster, and then complete happiness and success when it works. Exactly. So it's anticipatory design. What do we do? What do we do? When we're thinking anticipatory design, then, we're thinking then, so the, the, the computer needs to anticipate what it's supposed to do in, uh, in context to what I'm performing. But then also... I, mm. as a human, I would like to be able to anticipate what that actually, what the computer is doing, what the bot is doing. Mm. Uh, I don't want it to do things that I'm not prepared will happen. Uh, at least I, I must be made aware. So in a sense, we're saying that people need almost to be able to program the bot. I, so the trust goes both ways. I need to give the mm. bot information for it to trust me enough to, to if you can say that, to actually uh, interpret what I, what in, what information I need at what point in time and in what context. Mm. Uh, so, I think people need to, it, need oh. need more tools uh, to communicate with the bot. We're saying that we're taking away interfaces, but still we need interfaces. Say we're also saying we need a kill switch. We need to be able to tell the bot never do that again. We need to teach it. We need need to be always teaching it, which brings us into artificial intelligence. Then we need to be, always be allowing the bot to learn so we need to give it information this is what i want this is what i need you can you can try things but don't do it too far but the the the, the problem though are the edge points here the 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 connections i mean yes you can you can what you're saying works when you have like an all knowing being this all knowing ai this thing in the middle a hub mm. but the the problems that we've highlighted in in the chat are when this handover, when when we've let this thing, one thing, know all about us and all about certain things, yeah. but then when it hands over through an API, through something else, or it's putting two and two together by using data, that's when stuff falls over. So so how how do we get um, different organisations, mm. different systems, um, different platforms to to be more into, more reliably interconnected? Um, in a way that allows things to work, but yet still um, does what you say and, and gives us the opportunity mm. to, to, to be the puppet master right. and, and help control the puppet a bit and, and let, it, let it know whether 
stuff's on the on track or or really something they'd never want to well, do. But you again. and I have a classic example of where it really goes wrong and sort of is in, on the borderline of of, of integrity uh, problems because I publish uh, my trips on TripIt and sometimes when you and I travel together, <laughs> uh, I add you to the yeah. trip on TripIt, but. <clears throat> That yeah. means it will publish to your Facebook page, your own Facebook profile, that you are going it on a does. trip somewhere. But maybe you didn't want it to does. publish that. So y- there should be like <laughs> an interface in there somewhere where you could say, stop doing that. Because you now we're, we're, this has been going on for four years now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you still haven't stopped it. <laughs> because there's just no, no button well, the there thing that is says I, stop I, it. I'm actually not completely sure how you stop it because I've yeah. said I've said that you can add me to your trips yeah. and uh, without without completely dis- I suppose I could disconnect TripIt from Facebook. Mm. That's the the thing. Um, does Facebook really need to be connected? Yeah, yeah. I could solve it that way. But it's but it's a brutal solution. Mm. It's it's kind of it's binary. TripIt connected or not? Poof. Exactly. And and that's my solution for 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 you publishing to my Facebook mm. feed when you have decided to to. Do your admin and tidy up your your trip plans. Um, yeah, it's it, it generally it causes just a bit of amusement when when oh, you de- you post to my wall and declare where you, you know when and where we're going to places. Mm. Oh. The problem comes when you accidentally connect me to the wrong trip and I go to Africa with you or something. <laughs> exactly. And this is uh, and I really liked what you your terminology here when you said the domino effect of automation. I, I think you should write a blog post on that, James, because that really is what it is. When when things stick together, which is nice, but when they start performing things based on one data, po- data point being wrong, then it all goes to shit. Yeah. Yeah, it does. But I think this now ties us in nicely to, to Andrea's um, our conversation with Andrea about um, um, cross-channel um, ecosystems. Mm. Because what Andrea was talking about in that chat and explaining to us was... I suppose the, the brutal honesty that we need to have when we're looking at service design or, or looking at, at the experience that it's, it's not about us. Mm. But it's, not about the, it's not about us as an organization, sorry. It's about, it's about us as individuals, as people. We're the ones um, that experience stuff and, and do stuff. And um, just like with the, with the automation, that we can't, we, we, we can't just expect things to work as like a b c d this is how it is because that's not how life is it's really about the complexity of humans and i love that about andrea's talk is that he's saying that you can't control the human you you can only like the touch points you design a touch point and you expect the person to interact with the touch point in the way that you want but they have other things to do in life as well and that always doesn't connect with your touch point in all cases uh the interesting thing about that Mm. and is you can you can build something that's really nice and perfect but it fails because it's put into the wrong context uh, mm. uh, based on where that human is performing the task attached to your business. So it could be ex- mm. something that is extremely useful and usable, but you d- you, it's not fitting into the, the pattern or the, the path that they're walking along in life. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think they, what we said there was, um, um, oh, well, we, we, what it is is that we're not, we're not creating the experiences. Mm. Uh, which we, I think you mentioned, that's one of the things we get wrong in UX all yeah. the time, that we think we, we create experiences. We don't. The, the actors, as Andrea said it, um, the actors create the experience. Mm. We're just stagehands. We're the ones moving the scenery around during the performance. The actors are doing all the work. Right. 
Actually, last last uh, two two weeks ago, I gave a talk and, and I, I talked about the paradox of nudging, because that that's what a lot mm-hmm. of businesses want to do these days. They want to nudge, so they they think about stuff that they can make you do to take better care of the environment, like they make smaller plates at the hotel and whatever. The problem with nudging is mm-hmm. that everyone can do it, and not everyone has like these high and mighty good intentions. Uh, so so if a thousand businesses are trying to nudge you every day. They're pushing you one way and pushing the other direction. How will you win that? How will you make sure mm. that your nudge is the one that works for that person? That's impossible. It's like it's like a flipper game. You're just just you're. It's a pinball machine. You, you're just being pushed around all the time as a user these days. Do Do you end up with nudge inflation? So so eventually a nudge becomes a shove, and you're 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 pushing people instead of just nudging. Them. Exactly. That's a really good point. Because you've yeah. got you've got because you need to push the, the hardest nudge. Yeah. Mm. So it stops being a nudge, and that brings us so falls, all the way back to ethics again, of course. Uh, oh, yeah. ethics again. Mm. But I think um, it's worth looking at um, Andreas or listening to his talk because I think there's a, I'll link to the video um, for that um, because the example he gave of of buying cinema tickets, I think, is actually a really good way of of understanding. We mentioned it in the in the interview now, but looking at it in more detail, it's a really good way of understanding his concept about um, cross-channel um, ecosystems and, and mapping them and, and thinking about how we are as individuals and how we, we dance between these different um, um, processes yes. within a bigger goal. Excellent. Right. Remember to subscribe to the show if you don't already. Dip your toes in our back catalogue. Uh, and links related to this episode, as we mentioned, uh, are available on uxpodcast.com. And we've also started sending them out as part of our backstage email. So sign up at uxpodcast.com slash backstage. And remember about the listener phone in on December 2nd. Thank you for um, spending some time with us. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. (laughs) 